A Big Lash Energía. Soy tu anfitronia, Gina María. ¡Ay, ay, ay! ¡Riba! I didn't get into the tequila, I promise. I just figured since my life feels like a telenovela, maybe I should switch to Spanish. Maybe that just goes better. <laughs> This week, we're going to Mexico. But first, I have a very exciting announcement to make. I did it. I made it through the hardest part of the year. Wedding season isn't over quite yet, but at least it's more livable. Now, I can focus on giving this show all the love and attention it deserves. So to celebrate, I'm doing a contest that I think you're going to love. The only sad thing about it is that I don't have prizes for everyone. <laughs> so basically the way it's going to work is second and third place winners are going to receive Big Lash Energy merch, which is very exciting because it's not even officially released yet. And the grand prize winner. Ah, I'm so excited about this. I have goosebumps like my nipples are hard right now. <sighs> the grand prize winner is going to be joining me and three of my BLE besties in the fourth row at the Lizzo concert in Vancouver on November 7th. Oh my God. Ay, ay, ay. This is so exciting. Please check out the BLE Podcast Instagram page for details on how to enter. One very lucky listener is going to be sitting in the fourth row beside the stage alongside my sister, Ricky, super boss lady, Shannon Mann, and myself. We're going to be decked out in orange, twerking our little booties off, and we want you to join us. So please look up the contest details and make sure to enter. Anyways, enough of the housekeeping stuff. Let's get to the good stuff, shall we? Arriba! Welcome to Big Lash Energy, dedicated to helping you navigate life's hurdles with your head held high. We're celebrating wins, learning from our losses, and laughing at ourselves along the way. <laughs> Now here's your favorite hype woman, Jaina Marie. Jaina Marie. Last week's episode ended with a cliffhanger. I realized this. I'm an asshole. I get it. I told you we were going to talk about some crazy shit, and then I left you on the airplane. For that, I'm sorry. But the story I'm about to tell needed some context. But you know what? We're here now. You joined me on the plane as I awkwardly sat beside two kissy-faced honeymooners, and now we're landing. Bienvenidos a Mexico. <laughs> So one thing to keep in mind when you're listening to this story is that this all happened in a very different time. I think it was 2000, no, 2001. So we didn't have, you know, cell phones on us every second. If we did, they definitely didn't do what they do now. Wi-Fi was on computers and and it was pretty much held hostage. You had to go to internet cafes and pay by the minute when you traveled. Like this was when people would go on trips and you wouldn't hear for them the whole time they were gone. Or maybe they'd send an email or something. When I landed, I had no cell phone, no Google Maps. I couldn't text home. All I had was the name of the resort and a prayer. There were major delays in customs, so I got out of the airport two and a half hours late, which meant the driver that had been sent to pick me up from the resort was now long gone. I froze outside the airport as it felt like the whole world blurred around me. I had absolutely no idea what to do. I'd left in such a hurry, I hadn't even checked on a map to see where Cancun was in Mexico or where the resort was in relation to the airport. I was just there. 
Then a local saw that I'd been standing for what seemed like forever, and in very broken English, he asked if he could help me. I said I really needed to get to Viva Azteca. That's literally all I knew. Oh, yes. I know where that is. Come with me. I have followed this complete stranger out of the arrivals area and to his rusty jalopy of a truck. His son was sitting in the back seat, and he motioned for me to sit beside him. I was 100% putting my trust in the goodness of mankind at that moment, believing that they had my best interests at heart and weren't trying to find a hidden spot in the jungle where they could steal my organs. My imagination was running away from me and of all the ways that this could go wrong when the truck sputtered and slowly pulled over on the side of the highway. Oh shit. He said, I'll be right back. And just left me sitting there in the heat with a young guy sitting beside me who didn't speak a word of English. He pointed to my Spanish English phrase book and then took it from me. He swiped back and forth through the pages before smiling and pointing to the phrase, ¿Quieres bailar conmigo? Would you like to dance with me? And I just smiled awkwardly and said, no gracias. Finally, his dad came back with a huge bucket of water and dumped it on the engine. He said, too hot, then started the truck up again. Thankfully, thankfully, this man did have my best intentions at heart and drove me to where I needed to be. Wow, was I relieved when I saw the sign that said we were there. I swear I could have kissed the ground I was standing on. Once I arrived, the head of the entertainment team met with me in the lobby and gave me a tour of the resort. He told me to relax and enjoy my first night. Just watch how everything works. So I walked straight to the ocean and the color of the water took my breath away. I just stood there watching the waves thinking how cool it was that I was here all by myself, ready to start this huge adventure. I really wasn't expecting to be this beautiful. Then I went for dinner and to the show. It was Beauty and the Beast that night, and I knew that I was going to be performing in it eventually. After the show, all of the actors and the entertainment staff went and met down in the lobby bar, and they announced that there was going to be a beer chugging contest. One of the entertainment staff told me to stay close by, so I did. I watched as hotel guests took turns challenging each other until one beat everyone. It was a very tall, very wide German lady. She was built like a linebacker and looked like she put beer on her Cheerios. (laughs) She was very proud that she beat everyone so far and had everyone in the lounge chanting, Germany, Germany. And that's when the entertainment guy looked at me and said, it's your turn. I said, I'm sorry, what? He said, it's tradition here that each new staff member participate in the drinking game the night that they get here. I had never drank alcohol in my life. Well, except for the Irish cream Baileys that I used to sneak from my parents' pantry to pour over my ice cream and I replaced with milk. Sorry, Mom. (laughs) I wasn't even allowed to drink pop. I'd never even had Coke or Pepsi before. In fact, I still haven't. So even just the carbonation was intimidating to me. But I'm a very competitive person. So I sat down across from my German competition and chugged that beer back so fast and so hard it was like... Like water after a week in the desert. I won. I won. I won a beer chugging contest on my first night in Mexico. I was so excited that I beat her and I wanted to tell my parents, but for some reason, I didn't think that they would share my excitement. <laughs> Afterwards, the staff all crowded around me laughing about how my beer chugging skills had surprised the shit out of them. They were from all over the world, but all spoke some English. All of a sudden, a man from the team stepped forward. He was a Mexican with very dark skin, glowing, his hair shaved on the sides and the top in a long ponytail. Everyone else was dressed in our uniforms, but he was wearing a turquoise basketball jersey and sneakers. He carried himself like the rules didn't apply to him. 
He looked me in the eyes and said something very fast and long-winded in Spanish. I had no idea what he was saying, so I said, I'm sorry, uh, no comprendo. Then he took one step closer to me and said, then what the fuck are you doing working in Mexico? And walked away from me. I gulped. The only other Canadian on the team put one hand on my shoulder and said, I'm sorry, that's Flavio. Don't worry about him. He's just grumpy sometimes. I'd say grumpy was an understatement. But he had a point. I was in Mexico and couldn't speak much Spanish. That was going to have to change. This job turned out to be absolutely nothing at all like I had expected. Three things were super fucked up. One was that we had to work long, long, long days and we only had one day off a week. So we were working 17 hour days, six days a week, which was 200 and something hours every two weeks, which meant that I would be earning less than $1 an hour. Also, I had visions of me living at the resort, but it turned out that I was going to have to stay at a place called La Poblado, which means the village. And I had to share basically a closet-sized room with another woman. Her name was Chintzia. She had a thing for letting all the stray cats into our room. Yeah, we always had stray Mexican cats. And at one point, I woke up in the morning and I had these weird dots all over my legs. And I went to a walk-in clinic and they told me that they were flea bites. Thanks, Chintzia. So needless to say, my legs weren't looking that cute in the bathing suits that I was trying to wear. Also, they had said that we would have free food, but it turned out that one of the rules was in order to eat the free food at the resort, you had to ask the guests if you could join them for the meal. So you'd walk up to a group and say, hi, can I join you for lunch? And they would just nod their heads. And then you would sit down and realize that they were all Italian and didn't speak a word of English. And now this is going to be the most awkward meal of your life. So in other words, I really wasn't trying to eat that much at the resort because uh, I'd rather just eat in peace. So the days went like this. The bus would pick us up at nine in the morning and take us to the resort. We would eat breakfast. Then we would do our main job. My main job was to run the kids club with an Italian named Luca. We had kids from all over the world being left with us for the day while their parents enjoyed the beach in peace. The resort was mostly promoted to Italians. So me knowing French, Spanish and English wasn't much of a help at all. Then we'd run the late afternoon activities like volleyball, salsa dancing lessons on the beach or whatever it was until it was time for us all to go meet at rehearsals at the stage. There we would learn and practice the choreography for the performance we were going to do that night. We got a quick break for dinner and then we had to come back to get ready to perform. After performing, we would play the games with the guests in the lobby bar and then we were supposed to encourage everyone to come party at the disco where we would dance with the guests until two in the morning when our boss would stand at the door of the club indicating that the bus was there and we could now finally go home. We'd get into our place at about 2.30 in the morning, shower and go to sleep as quick as possible because the bus was coming back to pick us up at nine o'clock in the morning the next day. That's what we did six days a week. There was one kid whose parents were part owners of the resort who came to work with us and he only lasted two days. He had an impression that he was basically just going to be living on vacation and working once in a while and that is really not the case. So yeah, I was pretty proud of the fact that I was sticking it out. Despite the long days, I was happy to be performing on stage. I felt a lot of pressure to pick up the choreography because everyone else had been there for a long time. 
One day, the head choreographer came to me and said that he was going to make me the star that night. I was very excited because obviously I'd been playing very small roles up until this point. I had no idea what he meant. It was the Michael Jackson show and the closing dance number was We Are the World and they wanted me to be the angel that was going to come down from the ceiling. I was excited and also a little bit terrified because the ceilings in the theater room were very, very, very high and I had no idea how they were going to make this happen. The makeup artist, whose name was Sixto, caked my face to the gods and sprinkled glitter all over me. By the time the curtain was going up, the heat and humidity had my face looking like sparkle soup. I was handed a harness that fit very uncomfortably, and then what looked like a pink prom reject dress from the 1980s. I had poofy sleeves and all these layers of fluff. It was atrocious. We climbed up four sets of stairs and then two ladders. And that's when the head choreographer said, this is it. My jaw dropped. I looked ahead of me and saw that in order to get where they needed me to be so they could lower me down to the stage, I'd have to carefully balance on a rafter only as wide as one of my feet. So basically a balance beam six stories above the stage. I'd have to go one foot in front of the other until I got to the middle of the stage where everyone was performing. My harness wouldn't be connected to anything until I got to where I was going to be lowered down. The choreographer and I each had to balance our own way out on our own beams. Then when we got to where I was going to be lowered, he handed me a fishing line. He told me to tie that fishing line to my pointer finger. He said that that's what was going to stop me from spinning when I was hanging. It was going to anchor me so that I didn't rotate. I had literally no time to question what was happening or if I even wanted to do this or not because the song was almost done. The dancers were on stage below me in a circle doing their moves, gesturing up to the sky like, oh my gosh, what's that? Then Lupo, the choreographer, said, okay, it's time to go. And he gently pushed me off of the rafter and tethered the rope so that I'd be at the right height above everyone else. I was supposed to hang there, looking like I was hovering in the sky, all angelic, when they danced around beneath me. But at some point, that fishing line that was tied around my finger broke, so I had nothing to keep me straight. Slowly, slowly, my body rotated in the opposite direction. Now... I was hanging from the ceiling with my back to the audience, trying to sway my legs inside the dress to continue to rotate my body all the way back to the front, but it wasn't working. I could hear the audience laughing at my expense, and when I looked down, I could see some of the dancers looking back up at me like, oh, fuck. Afterwards, when we were backstage undressing, they all laughed and called me Jaina Pinata. I was off to a fabulous start. finally had a day off we had to spend our time cleaning and doing laundry the second week i was there i was going back and forth to the laundry room and i noticed flavio in his room listening to music he glanced at me through the crack in his door and i quickly looked away i didn't want to make eye contact i was seriously intimidated by this guy then i heard him say hey canada the other canadian was working that day so i knew he was talking to me i said yes he goes come here I walked carefully to the door of his room, and I was surprised when I looked inside. He was the only one I'd seen who had a TV, a stereo system, and a very nicely decorated room. I also noticed that he wasn't sharing with anybody else. All he said was, You're going to have to learn Spanish. I'll teach you. And that's how it started. But I learned very quickly that he wasn't a jerk at all. Under his crusty exterior, Flavio was a really sweet guy who wanted me to be happy and comfortable. He had a scooter, which meant I didn't have to wait around for the bus anymore. And he knew all the cool local restaurants, which meant I didn't have to have awkward meals with the guests anymore either. One night when I got back from work, I popped into his room to surprise him. 
and was shook when I saw him sitting on his bed with two bricks of cocaine and a pile of tiny bags beside him. What the fuck? I froze. He looked up and smiled at me like it was no big deal and said, I'm going to need you to close the door, so come inside. I played it as cool as I could and sat down beside him. He said, want to help me? And he handed me a pile of little tiny baggies, then showed me how he was portioning out the cocaine. As I helped, he explained that he had an ex-wife and a child who lived in Mexico who needed help financially, and that the job that we did didn't cover enough to pay his bills, let alone theirs, so he helps the guests with their party, he said. My eyes were opened over the next few weeks as I saw all the people who would buy from Flavio. It seemed like all our fellow co-workers were high 24-7, but the biggest shocker came when I'd see parents picking up their kids from my kids club who just bought a lot of party from Flavio the night before. The way I saw it was, I didn't want to judge him. He was doing what he had to do for himself and his family. I'd help him when he needed me without passing judgment because I wasn't in his situation. And he spent lots of the money that he made on taking me places too. Basically, I just did my best not to think too much about it. Because if I did, I probably would have had an anxiety attack. Then, one night, when it was finally time to leave the resort at the end of a very long day, I went to our usual meeting spot so that we could ride his scooter home, but Flavio was nowhere to be seen. I asked around, and nobody seemed to know where he was. But finally, the other Canadian said, Oh girl, they fired him today. And I said, what? Yeah, the resort always knew he was selling to the guests, but I guess it just got too obvious. The bus pulled up and I got on. When I got back to the Poblado, I found Flavio packing up his room. I said, oh my gosh, where are you going to go? He said, don't worry, this is just what happens when you're a bad boy. He asked, are you coming with me? And I said, yes. I threw some clothes into a backpack and we drove around Playa del Carmen until we found a hotel that he could afford. It was nice to finally have some air conditioning. He said, tomorrow I'll find somewhere to live and I'll pick you up from work. I said, okay, fine. The next night, he picked me up like he said he would, and we drove across town, bumping along on the shitty streets in the back of his scooter until we got to a very run-down building with bass so loud you could hear it from a block away. The sign outside said, Chilly Willies. Was he taking me to a strip club? He parked his scooter and held his hand out for me to hold. He said, Come with me. Then we ran to a door beside the strip club entrance up a very narrow, very dirty set of stairs. He fumbled with a tiny key until the door finally creaked open. Here, me amor. We can stay here together. My eyes scanned the room. Paint was peeling and giant cracks were in the walls. The bed was just a mattress with one sheet on top. There was a little table, two little chairs, and one horrible crooked painting on the wall. Hey. I said he was a drug dealer. I didn't say he was a good one, okay? This wasn't narcos. I wasn't living in fur coats and giant palaces on the ocean, (laughs) unfortunately. The shower was just a pipe coming out of the wall, so in order to get wet, I had to press my body up against the moldy tile and try to catch the water flow. There were also cockroaches everywhere, and it was very hard to sleep because all of the music and yelling from the strip club below us. What the hell had I gotten myself into? This was a very, very far cry from the comforts of home. Every night after that, I'd wait for Flavio to pick me up and take me back to our place. It was nice to have some time away from the work people, and he and I did have a lot of fun together. He took me to local dance clubs and restaurants, I ate the most authentic food, and he taught me how to salsa dance too. He spoke nine languages, so he was 
very good at connecting with new people everywhere we went. Considering I was so far from everyone and everything I loved, he did feel a bit like home. Then, for the second time, I left work and he wasn't at our usual spot. I waited until I couldn't wait anymore and then I hailed a taxi to take me to our place. When I got there, I didn't recognize the man waiting for me at all. He was twitching and moving furniture around, super excitable and jumpy and very sketched out. He wasn't making any sense when he talked, and I came to the realization that he'd dipped into his supply. He was high as fuck. After rinsing myself off under the pipe sticking out of the wall, I couldn't even call it having a shower, I tried to lay down on the bed, but he was acting so crazy. I tried stopping him, telling him to sit down and relax, but it was just emptiness behind his eyes. He looked at me like he didn't know me. I got up and sat on the ground beside the door, hoping he'd forget that I was even there and leave me alone for the night. As he mumbled and took the painting off the wall, it hit me. The Jaina in Kelowna would kick my ass right now. What the hell was I doing lying in fetal position on the filthy floor of a janky motel room on top of a strip club with a sketched out drug dealer? The same age as my dad. Who was I? This was just not okay. I woke up on the floor in the morning and saw Flavio lying on the mattress like a starfish. I quietly got dressed, snuck out of the hotel, and had a taxi take me to work. I was a mess. My eyes were puffy because I'd cried most of the night and my whole body was sore from lying on a crusty doormat. At the end of the day, he was waiting for me with a flower and a very sad look on his face. He knew that he'd hurt me. He said, Please come with me. I think we need to talk. I agreed and got on the back of his scooter. We drove to our favorite restaurant and ordered fresh steak tacos, but I didn't have an appetite. He could tell that I was shook, so he spoke very carefully. He said, I'm so sorry for what you saw last night. I was a very bad boy. I need to sell these drugs. My daughter needs the money that I sent her, but I can't have them with me because it's just too much temptation. I was trying hard to understand. I'd never been tempted by the idea of drugs before. He said, I've been thinking. You have a safe in your room at the Poblado. Can I just give you my drugs to hold on to? Then you can just give me as much as I need to sell, and you'll never, ever have to come home to a bad boy ever again. Oh, man. Part of me was impressed that he was trying to find a solution, but the other part of me was terribly afraid of what this could mean for me if I ever got caught. It could actually be life or death for me. I cared about him, his situation, and he'd done so much for me that I felt like I owed him the help. I was torn. If I was going to stay in Mexico for a while longer like my mom expected me to, I didn't want to spend every night coming home to what happened the night before. I took a deep breath and I said, can I think about it? Of course, mi amor. I don't want you doing anything that you're not comfortable with, but if it's okay, it would be very good for us. We finished our tacos and went back to our place. He slept with one arm around me and I just stared up at the ceiling like, what the hell was I going to do now? The next day at work was all a blur. I was so distracted with what to do about this situation. I really did want to help him and I figured that the chance of getting caught would be super slim. But of course, in the off chance that I did get caught, my family would probably never see me again. Most of all, I really didn't want to let him down. In that moment, 
I really missed my family. We'd only had two phone conversations since I'd been there. I called Collect to Canada from a payphone, so my mom's bill was $700. I talked to my sister super briefly over MSN Messenger, but she was also still busy staying with Seth at the Spinal Rehabilitation Center. I looked down at my feet as I walked, and I imagined where I was standing on the planet in relation to my family, and how far away I was from the ones that I loved. Looking back now, I realized that at a time where I was so hurt and brokenhearted, I probably should have stayed surrounded by the people who loved me. But instead, I flew far, far away with no one to comfort me. And I was really just distracting myself from all the hurt and embarrassment of calling off my wedding. I wasn't really dealing with it or healing at all. Since I'd been away, I'd forgotten who I was and what I stood for, Or maybe I was subconsciously resentful towards God because I felt like I'd done everything I was supposed to do, but I end up getting burned anyways. Anyways, I went to our dance rehearsal that afternoon, still very torn as to what to do. Afterwards, I decided to walk to my favorite pizza spot for a cheap and tasty dinner. After all, doesn't pizza fix everybody's problems? (laughs) On my way out, one of the bellmen stopped me. Are you Jaina? He caught me off guard. I never talked to the other hotel staff. How did he know my name? There's someone here to see you. I was nervous because Flavio was supposed to be working his new job at that time. So if he was visiting, it meant something bad must have happened. Maybe he got fired. I walked the rest of the way to the front steps of the hotel. I was scanning the driveway for Flavio or his scooter. And my heart jumped right into my throat when I saw who'd come to visit me. Chris? Chris? My ex-fiancé was standing just a few steps away from me. What What the hell are you doing here? He looked like he'd lost 20 pounds since we'd last spoken. His hair was a disaster and he had bleach stains all over his shirt that was just hanging off him like a hanger. My gaze shifted to just behind him where his cousin was standing beside what looked like his silver Honda Civic. I double-checked the license plate. Oh my god. They drove here? I was completely shook. My heart was pounding out of my chest. What the hell was going on? I hadn't had any communication with Chris since I told him I was leaving on a one-way flight to Mexico. What was he doing here? Suddenly my two worlds were colliding. He smiled, likely relieved that I hadn't told him to fuck off immediately, and walked then ran to hug me. Instead of letting go, he stayed squeezing both of my arms tightly. He looked in my eyes and said, I missed you so much, Jaina. I fucked up. Bad. Real bad. But I'm here to make it right. He reached into his pocket and handed me a ring with a black stone that he'd probably bought in the town along the way. He said, Marry me now, on the beach, and we can drive home together. I promise after all of this, I'll never, ever do anything to risk losing you ever again. so crazy, right? What the heck would you do if you were me? Do you forgive him and marry him on the beach? Or maybe you tell him to kick rocks. Do you stay with Flavio or go back to Canada? Or hey, maybe you say fuck everyone and take off to Belize. (laughs) I made a major decision in that moment. And shortly after, something really big happened that flipped the whole adventure on its head. 
Make sure to listen next week so you can know what happened. It just keeps getting better. Or worse? I don't know. Either way, I can't wait to tell you the rest of the story. If you're enjoying this show as much as I'm enjoying making it for you, can you please do me a favor and share it with a friend? I hear every time you do, a stripper in Chili Willies gets a really great tip. It's true. Also, don't forget to check out the Big Lash Podcast Instagram account so that you can get details on how to join my friends and I at Lizzo. Now, until next week, please go be your most fabulous self and don't forget to spread that badass Big Lash energy everywhere you go. Hasta luego. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jada, what you feel?